Hello, fans, and welcome to the Dad Presents Podcast. I'm your fearless host, the Dad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. We've been out for about a month and a half on hiatus. We've not done that ever before. Just, you know, sometimes life just gets going. Um, and while I was out, I had a good friend who who listens to the show and decided they needed to give me advice. And they said that I needed to use more of a, a radio voice when I was doing the podcast. So that was my radio voice. Hope you enjoyed it. And now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So anyway, we were we were on I, hiatus just because, man, just just so much was going on in life. We we actually bought a house in Florida. Um and that's what our guest today, his name is Mikhail Thorpe, and he is going to be coming on to talk to us about um, expatriating out of the United States. It was a fascinating conversation. You're going to hear that in about 10 minutes. Um, but my family's already been taking those steps. We bought a house in Florida. I don't know if we're going to relocate there or just um, just uh, kind of pretend we're relocating there, but that's all I'll say about that. Um as a stepping stone to possibly leaving the United States of America. And I think there's a lot of people out there in the world who are feeling that way right now about America. It's just, it's getting crazy. Inflation is going through the roof. Um, it's going to continue to get worse. Uh, there's violence in the streets. I mean, it's still a great place to live right now, but I fear for what it's going to be in about five years. Plus, I've always loved the idea of just, you know, packing up my bags and, and taking on a new adventure. When I moved to California in like 1999, I had lived in about 20 other places before I got here. And I had no intention of staying here. And I, I just fell in love. I fell in love with, with the oceans, the weather, the beautiful women, um, so much to do. I fell in love. So I stayed, but kind of itching for another advan- uh, adventure. And that's what Mikkel's going to talk to us about. But before we get into all that, let's let's touch on some other. I mean, I know that every idiot podcaster out there right now is talking about uh, the Derek Chauvin trial and George Floyd and systemic racism and policing and all of that. And I'm going to spare you my opinion on that, all that, because quite frankly, you know, it's not my area of expertise and there's plenty of more qualified opinions out there. If it's okay, I'd like to talk to you guys right now about this COVID passport idea that keeps getting thrown around because frankly, it terrifies me. And we've been talking about freedoms and the assault on our freedoms for a very long time here and in the last year, how much it's been ramped up and how scary it's gotten. And this, I feel, is the whole situation coming to a head. This is the line in the sand, this COVID passport idea. And I know a lot of people say, well, well, you already have cards that you get stamped when you get a, you get a vaccination to go to Africa or whatever. Yeah, that's true. And I've done that before too. But a stamped card is so much different than what a COVID passport can be when you're talking about an app on your phone where the government mandates certain behaviors that you must take in order to do certain things. Um, it won't stop at getting the COVID vaccine. That that alone is an infringement on your rights. But what it opens the door to is just terrifying. I mean, imagine the future where you go to the grocery store and you want to get donuts, but you're diabetic and that information is in your health passport and you go to check out 
And the cashier says, oh, sorry, fatty, no donuts for you. The government says you have diabetes. That's totally coming. So, so let's talk about this for a minute. Um, you know, the first four amendments of the Constitution is what stands between us and an authoritarian government. That's what protects us. Every government in world history has grown and grown and grown until it's become authoritarian. We started as the, the smallest government in world history with the least amount of power, and we've gradually grown over 250 years into the biggest, most powerful government in world history. Those four amendments, those first four, they've been under assault since 1914 when the Federal Reserve was created. And after 9-11, that assault, that slow-climbing slow assault on your rights was dialed up to nine after 9-11. Um, you know, you had, you had um, the Patriot Act and you had the creation of homeland security and, and spying on American citizens. None of that's gone away as the threat of terror has, has slowly resolved None of that's gone away because once they take away your rights, they never give them back. And then in 2020, bad faith actors used the coronavirus epidemic to ratchet their assault on your freedoms up to 11. We've never seen an assault on Americans' freedoms other than slavery. Okay, let's put that caveat in there. Slavery was a massive assault on Americans' freedoms. Since slavery, we've not seen this kind of assault on, on rights. Um. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, but Matt, we had, a, we had a pandemic and people's lives were at risk. And yeah, that's true to a degree. But a pan- pandemic does not suspend the Bill of Rights. And the politicians don't have the authority to suspend your Bill of Rights, whether their intention is to protect you or not. And let's note that their intention was not to protect you. It was to seize power. But also, unelected government officials like Dr. Fauci don't have the legal authority to spend your rights ever. Yet that's exactly what they've done and they have no intention of giving them back. And Fauci was recently asked, what what level do we need to hit so that we can get our freedoms back? He was asked that by Jim Jordan and he had no answer. He had no answer because he has no intention of giving those freedoms back or he's just winging it. I don't know. Neither one of those is acceptable. But if you want to suspend Americans' rights, there's a process to that. It requires getting a 66% majority vote in the Senate and the House, and then the states need to ratify that. You can amend the Constitution by doing that. If you want to change one of our rights, go in and say, hey, during pandemic, rights are suspended. Make that a bill, get it passed with 66% in the Senate and the House, and then get the states to ratify it. Um, And if the politicians felt that locking us in our homes was that essential, they could have done that. They could have had it passed in days if it was that big of an emergency, but they didn't do that because they knew that bill wouldn't pass. Why? Because Americans are not going to willingly hand over their constitutional rights to a bunch of Washington cronies, and they shouldn't. We shouldn't. So instead, instead of doing that, instead of following the legal process, bad actors in government broke the law and forcefully suspended your rights, forcefully told you, you can't leave home today. You can't go shopping at the local corner mart. Your business is not allowed to be open. It's a violation of the Constitution, a violation of what this country is founded upon. So these lawmakers broke the law, ironically. Lawmakers broke the law, and they should be held accountable. They should be put in the same prisons where they've been locking up business owners who refuse to bow down and comply. They should be locked up in the prisons where they're putting nonviolent drug users which is also a violation of your rights, by the way. Once government 
gets a hold of your rights, they don't give them back because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We've seen this over and over in world history and in American history, right? Now, understand this. Understand why we see this. Um, understand that after 9-11, we now have 3,000 Americans on the no-fly list. They take away a right, they suspend your rights, and then they abuse the shit out of it. You're telling me 3,000 Americans are a threat to homeland security or possible terrorists? I'm not buying it. Prove it. So here's why this happens. You, we all understand that a corporation will attempt to continue to grow and amass wealth regardless of how big it becomes, regardless of how wealthy it becomes. Once it's on that New York Stock Exchange, its entire mission is to grow, increase its stock price, create dividends, and make people make its investors wealthy. It has to do that. If it doesn't continue to grow, it ceases to exist. Government, by its very nature, is the same. It's always going to attempt to grow in size and scope, regardless of how big it becomes. Uh, government creates a department. That department hires people. Those people now have to justify their jobs. My buddy, he's an, he's an electrician. He's working on the airport in L.A., they have, there's a new position, he said, where the government comes in and they inspect, he's called the, the caulking inspector, and he has to inspect all the caulking and make sure that it's fireproof. And if, if it's not, he has to report that. Now, now, somehow that job got created, and now that guy has to justify his job, so he has to find infractions, right? That guy then uh, justifies more jobs, and this is what government does. Uh, we got a problem. Okay, we need a new department. Okay, we got a new department. Now we got to hire people. Okay, we've hired people. They're going to justify their job. Jobs never go away. Departments never get shut down. Government never shrinks, right? So, you know, in 1880, government was spending 1% of gross domestic product. Nothing, really. By 2016, that number is 21%. Last year, government spending was 44% of gross domestic product. I mean, soon, if we continue on this path, all of the spending in this country will be government spending. So, you know, COVID hit and what we had is the old expression of never let a tragedy go to waste. Dick Cheney said it. Hillary Clinton said it. John Kerry said it. They've all said different versions of the exact same thing after 9-11, after COVID. They take a tragedy and they use that tragedy, they, they prey on your fears, and they use the tragedy to strip away your rights to enrich themselves. It's not new. It's been going on forever. They did it in Vietnam. They did it in Korea. They've, they did it in World War II. And, you know, some people will argue that you give up your liberty because it's made us safe. Well, number one, that's not true, okay? Giving up liberty doesn't make you more safe. Making better decisions makes you more safe. Uh, centralized mandates Government mandates do not make you more safe. Number two, there's plenty of statistical evidence that in this case, the, the lockdowns cost more lives than they saved. And number three, you know, you got this, this wise guy, this wise, wise old man, his name was Benjamin Franklin. And he said, those who give up essential liberty to purchase temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And I don't think truer words have ever been spoken. If you're willing to give up your freedom for a tiny little slice of safety? Oh, you're not my people. I know that much. So, I don't know. Look, we need to resist this vaccine passport. 
We have to resist it. Americans all over the country, liberals, uh, Republicans, all y'all need to rediscover the rebellious sense of revolution and draw a line in the sand and say, we will not comply. Look, Black Lives Matter, for, for all the terrible things I have to say about them, at least they're taking action. At least they have some balls. At least they're standing up for what they believe is right. We need to start doing the same, right? We need to do the same for what we believe in. There's 0% chance that if this vaccine passport passes, that we will ever get any freedom back. I mean, imagine the future. Imagine, imagine when the vaccine becomes an annual requirement. They're already talking about you need a booster, right? So imagine when it becomes an annual requirement to travel, to get on a plane, to, to go to a sporting event, to go to a concert. What a nightmare. And that's just the start. Um, picture this. The government decides that, that global warming, climate change, as they now call it, is an existential threat to your existence. There are, they've already said that. It's an existential threat to your existence. Okay. Well, let's say your carbon footprint's too high. They know how many miles you're you're driving. So you you go to the gas station and try to try to gas up and your credit card gets rejected, not because you don't have any credit, but because you've already driven too much that year. And now you're done with gas for that year. It's coming. That's coming. All right. Imagine uh, your social media post. Imagine you have a, a following of 70,000 like, like the dad presents and you don't conform. You don't fall in line with the Democrats. You don't fall in line with the Republicans. You just speak up for freedom. So suddenly a side that doesn't agree with you determines that you're, you're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic, whatever. Take your pick, doesn't matter. Slap a label on it. So to improve equity in America... They, they decide that uh, that that homophobe, that racist, he needs to be charged more for goods and services than someone else with a better, better social credit score, someone who has Facebook posts that, that we like more, okay? Now, imagine that in reverse. Imagine a group of legit racists take power. Imagine, and let's imagine they, they, a group of people who want to reenact who want slavery back, they take power, right? And you are making posts stating how, uh, well, slavery is wrong, duh. Okay, well, you go to the grocery store and you're not supporting their agenda, guess what? Your groceries are more. I mean, if you think these, these ideas are bonkers, did you, did you imagine like 25 years ago that you'd not be permitted to get on a plane with half a bottle of water? You can't do that right now. You can't get on a plane with half a bottle of water for your safety. What? You got to take your shoes off to get on the plane. Well, it's a minor inconvenience. Yeah, but for what? What are they accomplishing? I, I'm, I don't want to whine about inconveniences, but these little things add up, guys. Did you imagine 25 years ago that medical doctors, medical, actual medical doctors, people practicing who had different opinions than CNN anchor Don Lemon would have their social media posts in their field of expertise flagged for spreading misinformation because Don Lemon and, and uh, Jake Tapper and uh, uh, the owner of Facebook, what's that guy's name? Zuckerberg. They don't agree. They don't agree with the doctor. So, so it's misinformation. 
Did you imagine 25 years ago that the government would be storing recordings of all your phone calls and text messages in a database in the desert? Did you imagine 25 years ago we'd be fighting a war for 20 years based on lies and, and government propaganda that was purposely spread? And that if you resisted those wars, you'd be called a traitor like, like uh, Ron Paul and Tulsi Gabbard and The Dad Presents? Not trying to put myself in, in, in that high class with those absolute heroes. Just saying. I've been called that for that. So, I mean, look, go ahead and get your vaccine if you want it. I'm not going to tell you what to do with the vaccine. I believe in vaccines. They're starting to make me not trust this one with how much they're shoving it down my throat, but I'm a man of science and, and I've always gotten the flu vaccine and I've gotten other vaccines. Get a vaccine, slap that sticker on your forehead and show off to your friends like people do after they vote. You know, you go vote, you get that little sticker and everybody shows off and puts it on their Instagram. So gay. But don't support the idea of a COVID passport no matter what. Do not comply. Draw a line in the sand. Take a lesson from BLM and let's, let's fight for what we believe in. Americans' freedoms right now, they're on life support. And I'm not willing to give up just now and pull the cord. All right. We've got Fortune 500 companies lining up with one party, one political party in the United States and bringing um, authoritarian rule on us. This is, we, we're, in a, we're in an oligarchy now where the corporations rule us by using the federal government as their tool of enforcement. I mean, it, I'm sure you all saw what was going on in Georgia. They have some new voting laws passed. If you take an objective look at those laws and just just actually read them, they're pretty moderate laws. They They expand voting as compared to 2016, and they slightly dial back from the chaos of 2020, where, where basically any kind of voting restriction was lifted for the pandemic. They're dialing that back a little bit, as they should. And you have Joe Biden and, and Coca-Cola and the MLB comparing these laws to the Jim Crow South, which to me, if, if I was a black man living in the South in 1960 and I heard that, I'd be a little bit pissed. It's kind of like when people make a comparison and call somebody a Nazi who's not really a Nazi. You know, if you're, if you're a Jew from the 40s and your, your family was put in an oven and you hear somebody call an American who just doesn't agree with you politically a Nazi, it's a little bit offensive. I feel the same way about this, this Jim Crow stuff. But the point being is that we, have, we don't have freedom right now and we're being ruled by oligarchs. All of them are aligned on the same side. You have Hollywood, you have the Fortune 500 companies, you have Wall Street and all of the bankers. Um, all the power centers of America right now are united. And yet somehow many Americans are still buying into this narrative that America is run by white supremacists Um. And they're using that narrative to keep us at each other's throats while they just continue to steal away more power, steal away more money, uh, inflate the currency. Every time, every time there's a bailout, every time they inflate the currency, that benefits them to no end. When the currency is inflated with these stimulus bills and these spending bills, it decreases your purchase power. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or even if you have a small savings... 
Everything you buy is now more expensive. That affects you a great deal more than it affects them. It also decreases debt. When there's more money and you have debt, you're paying down debt, your debt is now less as compared to the amount of currency, right? And prices of things, not not just groceries, but investments skyrocket. So if you're a big investor and you and you have a ton of real estate or you've got millions in the stock market, those investments are going way up. So while you're getting hurt um, going to the grocery store, that's peanuts compared to what your investments are doing. And that's how they suck wealth out of the middle class. Um, and they're doing it to you and nobody's paying attention because everybody's just in these war games of identity politics. So anyway, I don't want to I don't want to yap too much today. I want to get into it with Mikkel because uh he's got a lot of good information and if anybody's feeling like my family's feeling, you should definitely give this a listen and look him up afterwards. He's willing to help people. He's got a business. This is how he makes his living. It's wonderful. Okay, guys, today's program is brought to you by sheathunderwear.com. Now, guys, I'm going to keep this brief. I just want to tell you about these underwear. Are any of you out there athletes? Because Matty Boy here is an athlete. I like to go jogging. I like to work out in the garage. I like to stay active. And one problem with staying active and also having a lot of man meat is it gets sweaty down there. And the the brat sometimes sticks to the beans, and it's just a big, swampy, nasty mess. And nobody wants to get near that. I don't want to get near it. I don't want to touch it in the shower. The wife doesn't want to get near it. Nobody wants to get near that big swampy mess. It's a problem. Sheath Underwear has fixed that problem, guys. They have fixed it. Are you an active guy? You like to work out. You need sheath underwear. They got two pouches. They got a dual pouch underwear setup where there's one pouch for the balls and there's another one for the peen. You put the peen in a pouch, put the balls in the pouch. They never touch each other. You sweat, you work out, you're exercising. The pouch absorbs the sweat, keeps it dry, keeps it fresh. You get done working out, you come in, you strip down, you give the wife a big hug and a kiss, and she's into it because you have worked out and you're sweaty and you're strong and you're beefy and you're manly and your bra is fresh. So that's, the, that's about the best pitch I can give you for sheath underwear. Your wife is going to dig him, your girl is going to dig him. And really, men, isn't that what it's all about? Don't we just want to be loved? So go to sheathunderwear.com, use code word DAD for 20% off, and uh, help help put a dollar in your boy's pocket so he can feed those kitties. All right, guys, thank you. Okay, guys, we're here today with Mikkel Thorup. He's a fascinating guy. He's the host of the Expat Money Show, which teaches people how to expatriate and afford that lifestyle, something I've been interested in for a very long time and have kind of been too much of a coward to pull the trigger on. So Great to have him in. Uh, you can find his podcast on Spotify and Apple, and I'm sure all of those places. He's been traveling the world for decades and helping people like figure out how to do the same thing. And given the current political climate of America and how many of us libertarians have been feeling, I think many of us are leaning in that direction. I thought it'd be good to have him on. So welcome, Mikkel. How you doing? Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about today's uh, discussion, today's topic. I think there's lots of different ways that we can take this. But first of all, I love the idea of your podcast. I think this is absolutely brilliant. And these are all topics, libertarianism, family, education, 
Um, anything like this are super, super big for me, really passionate about. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you so awesome. much. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the first time anyone's come on here and called, called us brilliant. So we, we appreciate that. <laughs> um, so I know, you know, you, you've been traveling for a long time. I guess the first thing I should ask is where are you right now? So I'm currently in Brazil. My wife and I will be here for about four months. Uh, we have a house in Panama. We live in Panama full time, but we travel as well. Um, yeah, COVID okay, so, have made things challenging, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we're not going to let it stop us or or change really how we want to live our lives, I suppose. Yeah, so uh, right there, Brazil, the media has really been driving home the fear on Brazil right now. What's the situation like in Brazil with COVID? Is, is like everybody dead? So um, there's kids playing soccer outside. There's lots of volleyball, you know, volleyball, very dangerous sport. Uh, malls are open, restaurants are open, bars are open, uh, tourist activities, uh, beaches, pretty much everything. Um, we're going out for dinner and drinks and meeting people and having friends and fun and networking and studying language and eating lots of yummy meat. And wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I get interviewed literally like three, four times a week and people are always asking me about Brazil. The first time I mentioned actually came forward and said, yeah, I'm traveling through Brazil. They said, oh, I'm so sorry about what's happening there. I was like, huh? What? Like, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's normal life here. Normal life. Sounds like you guys are, are more open than California, really, by, by that Ooh, description. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, COVID, um, being a traveler, has it, has it thrown a wrench into the plan? Like, has it become harder to get around or um, not really? More bureaucracy. It's more BS. Um, there's more people sticking stuff up your noses. But, I mean, it's still possible. I mean, it's just a degree. Like, I remember when I started traveling 21 years ago and I ran out of money. And it was like, well, I'm not going to let money stop me from doing what I want to do. And I figured out how to ways to travel and basically digital nomadism anyways. Well, I'm not going to let COVID stop me today from living my life the way that I want to live it. I mean, I'm honest, I'm ethical, I'm not hurting anyone. Why shouldn't I be able to go out there and explore? I'm a young guy. I'm only 38 years old. I exercise, I eat right, I sleep well, I take my vitamin D, I get my sunshine. I mean, I'm not putting anybody at risk. I've been out traveling lots in the last year and never had COVID. Touch wow. wood. I mean, yeah. So far, so, so good. You're you're a decade younger than me, and you've already been out at this for for how long? Twenty one years now. Wow. So you you left when you were a kid. So what what made yeah. you do that? Like, tell us how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So when I was a child, I was actually diagnosed with a learning disability. So when I was in grade three, the teacher, they, she took me out of class. She brought me to a little room and sat me down. And the teacher was there and the resource teacher and a principal, maybe a substitute. I can't remember exactly. About three or four adults there. And they sat me down and they said to me, Matt, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. And that's what they did, Matt. For every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across mm -hmm. town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, the only problem was that actually it wasn't a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. There was a lot of fights, a lot of name calling, a lot of bullying. 
and it was pretty horrendous experience. Now, I'm not coming on here to go, oh, poor Mikel, woe is me, woe is me. Well, you should. That's, That's what everybody does now. No way, man. I'm no victim. And trust me, I gave as good as I got to these other kids. There's no question about that. But basically, three years I went to this school. It was a horrible experience. I really hated it. But after three years, I thought, when I got an opportunity to go back to my neighborhood school, I thought, wow, this is going to be amazing. All my friends, they will have missed me. Everyone's going to be looking forward to seeing me. They're going to be so curious. But once again, change schools again. You can probably imagine what happened. Everybody starts to talk and whisper and gossip. And Well, I remember him. He went to some retard school. 1980s, totally politically correct. You know how sensitive children are. You know, very, very PC. And um, basically the problems continued. And I figured out at a very young age that I didn't like school and school just did not work for me. So I stopped going. And when I stopped going, then I started failing. And then they'd send me to summer school. And I'd stop going to that and I'd fail that. And then somehow we'd squeak through. And somehow I got into high school and stopped going to high school, failed that. And uh, basically, long story short, uh, at 12 years old, I stopped going to school. And at 15, I dropped out. Wow. Now, I don't say I dropped out and I mean I switched or I went to private school or I did mm-hmm. homeschooling or unschooling. I mean, no, I got a job and I started working for a living at 15 years old. And not long after that, I had an opportunity to travel and I got a chance to travel internationally. And I started meeting these amazing people who were learning and living their life and doing things in a completely different way than I ever did in Southwestern Ontario, in Canada, where I was born. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Like, these are my people. This is makes sense for me. And I really learned at a young age that there's not only one way to do things. Actually, there's many ways to do things and there's no right or wrong. And as a child, I realized, you know, for me, the situation and I, I was in didn't work. So I peacefully removed myself from the situation. Now, fast forward, like I said, I've been traveling for 21 years straight. I've traveled to more than 100 countries. Brazil is now my ninth country that I've lived in. I've circumnavigated the globe more than 400 times. Oh, my goodness. And I help people to leave the United States and Canada, to move overseas, to have more freedom and prosperity and liberty in their life. We always do it in a tax-efficient manner. And, yeah, man, we can talk about any of these things today. I'm I'm super stoked about all of them. That's that's amazing. First of all, 400 times around the globe. I mean, mo- I don't know what the statistic is, but a large percentage of the population never goes more than 25 miles away from their hometown to relocate. So that's yeah. wild. Um, you mentioned you dropped out of school at 15 and, and you know, I, I grew up in a, a family where of educators, my whole family, mm-hmm. my, my mother, my, my, my dad, my sister, educators. So we really valued education. And in my adulthood, I've learned that education's important, but not necessarily the educational system. It's kind of garbage. And in this last year, my kids have also dropped out of school, though not voluntarily. They just shut down school for the last year. And I think they've learned more in this last year at home with us because we, you know, we, we teach them at home. We have conversations every night, give them homework. I think they've learned more in this last year than, than they did in school anyway. But um, okay. So a couple things you, you, you touched on Canada that's where you're from. Um, did you say Ontario? Yeah, Ontario, southwestern okay. Ontario. Did you see what they said yesterday in Ontario? Like, what's going on there? They they gave more power to the police as of yesterday I to stop. stop 
to stop anyone who's not in their home and interrogate them for why they're not home. And they're encouraging neighbors Brutal. To, to tell on one another. And to rat on one another. I mean, community. Yeah. There you go. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so he, he, here's what I want to ask you about that. When traveling, I've done some traveling, obviously nothing like you, but when traveling, um, I remember the first time I got off a plane in Thailand, the, the, you see a sign there that says drugs are punishable by death. And that scared the crap out of me. Um, when you're traveling, how aware do you make yourself with the laws of that country? How much does that concern you? And when relocating, do you factor that sort of thing in? Okay, great question. I will answer that, I promise. But I want to clear up one thing that you just said. Sure. Let's not make a confusion between education and public school systems. Right. I never stopped educating. Right. Me traveling around the world was my education. You know, I didn't go on vacation for 21 years. I didn't sit on a resort and, you know, all inclusive. I mean, I was traveling. I was out there incorporating myself into the countries, into 100%. The communities and things like this. Add to that, I am a voracious reader. Side note, my quote unquote learning disability is a form of dyslexia, which basically they told me, oh, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. We actually know dyslexia is very common and it happens all over the world to many, many people. There's nothing wrong with you if you have dyslexia. Now, today I read on average about 100 to 120 books a year. Wow. And I attribute that to the fact that my creativity and my quest for understanding and for education was never beat out of me as a child like it was with so many other people. I have lots of friends who went through high school, went through university, went, up, went on to do a master's and have never read another book in their entire lives. Just mm -hmm. the thought of reading and educating themselves makes them sick to their stomach that they have no interest in doing it. I didn't have this problem. I mean, I just constantly, constantly wanted to explore, whether that be through books or through uh, mentorship or working with entrepreneurs or coaching or travel or any of these types of things. I always have that desire. So yeah. that's kind of a, a side note on that. No, no, and then no. We let, can jump into let, let's go with that. That's kind of that's kind of what I meant about education. The educational system mm. is is a disaster. Um, and you, I mean, look, you're you're a, a perfect shining example. You, most of us, we go to public school, then we go to college, and then we graduate with a mountain of debt that it takes us mm -hmm. twenty years to pay off. I paid off my college debt two years ago when I sold my business. And if I didn't create a business and sell it, I'd be paying it till the day I died. That's how much debt I had. Yeah, Here's a guy who crazy. <laughs> dropped out of school at 15, started being productive, saving money. And now you got a, a whole worldwide enterprise going on. Um, and I think you've, you would, if you measure you up against the kids who went to your public school, I bet you're doing better than 99% of them. So there are other pathways and people get terrified by the idea of not doing the standard public school, college, get a job, well, right? Add to that, how many kids out there go into a career that they think their parents want them to do or is going to be good or going to give them uh, power or prestige or these types of things, but maybe it actually doesn't speak to them. I recently had a woman on my podcast and she's an amazing person. She went through law school and decided that after five years of being an attorney, she didn't want to practice law anymore. And now in her 30s, she switched to travel writing. Travel was her passion. See, I found out my passion 
when I was a teenager because I had the opportunity to explore that. Do you understand the difference there? I was allowed to make mistakes and had a chance to actually figure things out on my own. And mm -hmm. entrepreneurship came because I looked at the marketplace and went, wow, there's no one really working on these things. There's no one really talking about this specific niche. So I have at that time, you know, maybe 15 years experience uh, doing this and people were interested in how did I do this? So I went out there and started to solve a problem. But if I had have stayed in school until I was 26 years old or 28 years old and had hundreds of thousands of debt, do you think I would be able to do that? No, no, you, you're trapped Chances by that. Not. Yeah. So you can yeah. make a mistake and, and, and try your hand and figure out what you want to do at 17. You make a mistake while well, you'd go on to the next thing. When you make a mistake at 27 with $200,000 of debt on your shoulders, you're in big trouble. So, so yeah, and eight years of, of mm -hmm. eight years to make that mistake. I mean, like, it's, it's not like a quick, you know, make the mistake, learn from it and then move on. You don't actually find out if you've made a mistake until you start working in that field. And in right. this example, talking about doing your master's level or doing some type of higher education on top of your bachelor's, I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, 100%. that seems risky to me. Like that, that's risky. Yeah. Dropping yeah. out of school and, and traveling and finding your own path. That actually seems a lot safer to me. Yeah. And then, I mean, <clears throat> you travel, you find your own path. And at the end of it, you might find out that you want to go to school, right? But yeah, at least absolutely. You're an but at least you have decision. an opportunity to figure that out, you know, yeah. because, yeah. okay, you're making decisions as a teenager that's going to dictate years of your life, but you don't have any experience to base those on. Like I mentioned mentorship before. I'm a huge fan of mentorship, learning from somebody who's actually done it in the real world and then asking them a lot of questions and kind of shadowing them. I mean, I've had an opportunity to do this in many aspects of my life. And I think it is a phenomenal way to do things. Public education that we have today is not been doing us, uh, it has not been there the entire span of human history. We're talking about 100, 150 years that this experiment has taken place. But how long have humans been on earth? I mean, tens of thousands of years, hundreds of like, I mean, we, we did well up until a certain point, and then we switched everything and decided that the state needs to now be responsible right. for education. Yeah. And I, I want to shift gears, but if you look at the history of public education, it was, I, I believe it was started by the Ottoman Empire because they couldn't get enough uh, men to sign up for war. So they used it as propaganda to encourage young boys to be patriotic. Right. That's kind of the origins of school and that, and that propaganda has not really stopped. But let's shift a little bit. I want to get back to... The, the moving and, and how much you pay attention to the laws of that country. And then um, if people are interested, what's like step number one? Okay. So do I pay attention to the laws of the country that I am going to? Yes, of course. Absolutely. I am a guest in that country and I treat it as such. Everything in my life, I try to be very respectful. Um, I try to understand that it is a blessing and a privilege I am always trying to be nice and kind and follow the rules. I don't believe that I have anything where, you know, I deserve this. Like, I don't deserve to travel. I mean, I traveled because I worked hard and I made it happen. I don't believe in anything that, you know, it is my basic human right. My basic human right is to be left alone and not hurt or touched or anything like that. Everything else, you know, I need to make my own way. But yes, for Southeast Asia, it is very common knowledge that they're very strict on hardcore drugs. 
Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, these types of countries. So what do you do? Don't bring heroin into the country. I mean, yes, you need to know that in advance, but probably don't bring heroin on an airplane anywhere. If that's your thing, well, then I don't know. I mean, I don't really have any comment. That's your life. But my advice would probably be try not to do it in a foreign country. But my guess is that probably people who are listening today are not doing a lot of heroin. <laughs> I do know people that, you know, know want to smoke a joint or, you know, have some mushrooms or something like that. Well, yeah. there are countries out there that have really relaxed drug laws, like Portugal, for example. I mean, Portugal, they've decriminalized most everything over there. So if that is something that is important to you in your life, well, then maybe just be a little bit more specific about the country that you choose to go and do that in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so like I said, I'm interested in this. I, I've been interested in this for a long time. I wish I knew this was an option 20 years ago when I was a single man, I would have pulled the trigger. With a family, it's a lot more intimidating. So as a family man, um, like what's, what's the first step? Okay. Well, first of all, let's let's clear this. I am a family man. Now I'm happily married man. Um, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My wife is from mainland China. We met in Germany. We got married in Africa. My daughter was born in Abu Dhabi. We now have a house in Panama. Uh, we have a gracious. huge penthouse apartment, two-story penthouse in downtown Panama. And we're currently in Brazil for four months. And yeah, so I can still travel and do all of these types of things as a husband and father. And even as a son, my mother actually travels with us. We're very fortunate. Wow. She helps to take care of my kid because I believe that children should be raised by family. I, I believe it takes a village to raise a child and, and that we need a bit of support and community. So we're very fortunate to have my mom along for the ride and, and she helps out with my daughter. So, I mean, that's really, really amazing. Now, as for your questions on, you know, what's the first thing that someone should do? I mean, it's kind of difficult to give advice on this because everybody is in a very different situation. Like for me, for example, traveling with a kid is normal. My daughter's been to 13 countries. She speaks three languages at five years old. Oh that's goodness. normal life to us. But what that's would I normal. say to you? Well, I mean, define normal for well, me, that, Matt. That's I mean, extraordinary. Define normal. Well, that, I, I would say she's in the 0.01% of five-year-olds if she's speaking three languages and has been to 13 countries, right? That's your normal, but that's extraordinary. But in a homeschooling environment, which is what we do, we actually do like a kind of a variation called world schooling or unschooling. But children have an opportunity to do something like that. Like in my household, I speak to my daughter only in English. My wife speaks to her only in Mandarin. And we have an assistant that works with her who speaks to her only in Spanish. Wow. Next will be Portuguese. We're going to be learning Portuguese because we're buying a second house here or second house. We're buying a fourth house here and we'll have this as another base. But to kind of tie things back to what someone should do if they're listening to this, this is my invitation. And I wouldn't call it advice, but I would call it an invitation. My guess is that you have somewhere in your brain, you're listening to this today and you're listening to Mikkel speak and you're thinking, wow, I've always wanted to go to such and such place. I've always wanted to go to New Zealand or I've always wanted to go to 
island, or I always wonder what it would be like to live in France or Italy or wherever. I don't know where that place is. And I don't know if you've ever told anybody this, if you've shared it with your spouse or your sibling or your kids or your parents or whatever. But my guess is that it's there, that somewhere in your brain, you have a seed of somewhere you want to travel extensively or live in. My advice part of this is to go for it, to try. And I don't mean that you need to sell your house and put all your things in storage and move the entire family there tomorrow. What you can do is just rent your place out on Airbnb, get a 90-day tourist visa somewhere, like, for example, in Brazil, where I am, which is completely wide open, and come here for three months. Panama is open. I was in Costa Rica uh, not long ago. We were there for about three weeks. Wide open, no lockdowns. We were doing zip lining and surfing on the beach and uh, horseback riding and, I mean, anything and everything that you could expect. Take your family, go on an extended holiday and see what it's like. Do you enjoy it? Do you like the challenges? Do you like working in a different language and studying a new language? Do you like the differences in food? I mean, this is going to test you. If you like it, great. I mean, then there's options afterwards. We can talk about visas. We can talk about second citizenship, moving a business, structuring, banking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which are all things that I help people with with my private consulting uh, practice, which is how I earn a lot of my money is through this type of uh, connecting the dots, you could say. But my advice is to go out there and try. I mean, make a mistake. If it doesn't work, big deal. You try something else. And it doesn't even have to be you try Costa Rica. You don't like it. You have to go home. Why don't you try Costa Rica? And then you try Portugal. And then you try the UK. And then you try et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Until you find a place that you like. So many options. The world's so big, man. So big. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So you said you don't know everybody's situation. So let's make this a little more personal. I think the, the listeners will enjoy that and it'll give them something to relate to. Um, our family, we've thought about this for a long time. The biggest barrier to entry was, was my job, right? Um, that has changed with COVID because now so many people are working remotely. I'm working remotely. My wife can work remotely. Um, so that takes the, the biggest barrier to entry off the table. So now we're very fed up with California. We were fed up with, with the rules, the restrictions. They're talking about this COVID passport, which frankly has me terrified. Um, so, so we're really thinking about this. So now the biggest barrier is what's this going to do to our children to yank they're in a, they're in a community that they love. They have great friends. We have great friends. What's that going to be like for them? You mentioned Costa Rica, the places we're thinking about, we're thinking about Central America. We want to stay kind of relatively same time zones. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about Costa Rica. We're thinking about Belize. We've been to both those countries. We're considering some other places. Tell me about the transition for the children and how you make that easier for them when, you know, when they're, they're eight and 11 years old, they, they have friends, they have a community and you're putting them in an environment where nobody speaks their language. What can you do to make that transition easier? Okay, so I guess my first piece of advice is try not to come at things from a negative point of view where, you know, we're ripping them out of their community, that we're stealing them away from their friends. I mean, I always try to look at this as an opportunity. This is an opportunity for you and your wife and your children to become closer, to get to know each other more, to have a stronger bond with one another. I never try to look at these things from a negative point of view. I always try to look at them from the positive point of view. 
Now, I would also say that you should probably talk to your kids and get their opinions. How do they feel about it? What do they think? Maybe include them in the decision-making process. You know, you can start to explore. You can start to watch videos and read books and try to understand the different countries, the cultures, the food. You know, see what is it that they like to do. Now, as for making friends on the ground, I mean, there's tons of opportunities to have expat friends, but which is even more amazing is to try to have local friends. Now, you can enroll your kids in a local school. You can go to an international school. So you can go to an American school in Panama, or you can go to a French school in, in Costa Rica. I'm, I'm using examples here. So there's also those types of things. Now, education at the moment, most of it is being done remotely anyway. So the school systems in the United States and Canada has abandoned the children. So don't ever expect that things are going to be going back to normal there. I mean, yes, if the child is thinking back about what if I could go back two years and live my life at that point, you know, would I want to stay in this school system with these friends? That's one thing. But they know they need to know and we need to know as parents that the chances of that happening are pretty much slim to none. I mean, politicians have done a massive power play. And once they get power, chances of them giving it back are very, Zero. very, very little. Yes. So expect that your child will be wearing a mask to school for a very long period of time if they open physical schools again. And then extracurricular activities and sports clubs and band and everything like that will be dramatically changed. So those things aren't going to exist so in North America. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, like I said, luckily, we've been homeschooling my daughter since the very beginning, and we have no plan on changing any of that. I'm big into all the types of alternatives. So if you go to my podcast, expatmoneyshow.com, you'll see tons of interviews on education because education is so, so important to me. So who but does going that? Back your, to her, your mother or your wife who does the, the education at both. home? Both. Actually, all three of us. I spend a certain amount of time with my daughter every day on doing different things. But because we do unschooling, we do a lot of interest-based learning. My perspective is that a child needs to know how to read, write, and spell, and then do basic arithmetic. From those core concepts, the child is able to then teach themselves many different things. Now, yes, I still want to be there as a guide, but it's never going to be just a top-down uh force-fed information, and we don't believe in rote, uh, a, a style of learning called rote memorization. It didn't work for me when I was in school. Mm -hmm. It hasn't worked for pretty much anybody. They say maybe 10 to 15% of the population, it's an effective method. But for most people, it is a terrible, terrible method. It's basically memorizing, putting things right. into your short-term memory, and then just trying to regurgitate it um, on the fly for tests and things like yeah, that. That's what it's promoted. Pointless. In, yep. It's absolutely pointless. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So you mentioned, um, homeschooling, um, uh, local schools, uh, English speaking schools. Um, how, uh, let's just get to the basic. Okay. You go to, you go to a new country. Let's say we're going to Belize. How do we even begin the process of finding an appropriate school like that? Who do we talk to? Like what, what is this, the, the methodology there? Okay. So let's say that let, let's take three, three countries, okay? So we can spread it out a little bit and then I'll give you some context with one another. Okay, let's take Belize, Costa Rica, and Panama because, I mean, we've talked about them a little bit in this conversation. All Central American countries. 
Belize is a very, very small country. It is an English speaking country. Their population is somewhere around 300,000. The mainland of Belize, actually attached to Central America, is quite poor. A lot of the expats are out on the island, like Ambergris Key. Right. Um, it's a very small community. They don't have cars there. They drive golf carts. Right. Um, a lot of the people that are there, they are retirees. It's mostly for scuba diving. They have one of the largest barrier reefs and a lot for big game fishing. So that's kind of Belize. There's not so many families there. Add to that, the visa process for Belize is a little bit complicated. The most popular visa or the up and coming visa is an investment in real estate. I believe it's $279,000 yes. in a real estate development. Okay, so that's Belize. Costa Rica is a much larger country, a much larger population, a lot more expats and a lot more families. So you're going to end up having places for your kids that are going to have more opportunity for schools and more opportunity to make friends. You're not going to be stuck out on a little island. The visa process for Costa Rica in a nutshell is they have, they have many different ones. But for, for this conversation, the two are an investment in real estate of $200,000 or more or $60,000 in a Costa Rica bank account. Now that money has to sit there and then you can take basically an allowance from that to spend every year. This will give you permanent residency wow. in Costa Rica. That's easy. I'll, I'll talk about the, yeah, it's very easy. It's very easy. But I saved kind of the best for last and, and probably one of the reasons, well, definitely one of the reasons why I chose Panama. Panama is the richest country out of the seven countries in Central America. It's actually one of the richest countries in all of Latin America, they have a massive banking sector, financial sector. They have the Panama Canal. They have the, the Caribbean and the Pacific side. So you have two different types of beaches. They have the mountainous areas in Buquete and everything like that. It's a real cosmopolitan city, like Panama City. You don't feel like you're in a developing country. You feel like you're, in most cases, in a first world country. It's kind of like Miami or something like that. They call it the Miami of Latin America. Now, visa process for Panama is probably the easiest visa for permanent residency in the entire world. It's called the Friendly Nations Visa. They have a they have 2022, but once again, for this context, it's $5,000 in a bank account. And after you get your visa, which takes you know a month or two, you can actually withdraw the money. Then all you need to do is to show some strong economic ties. So the bank account is one economic tie, and the other one is forming a corporation. So we form an SA, it's a, a private anonymous company in Panama. And with all the legal work and the government fees and my fees and everything like that is $3,500 for a primary applicant and then about $1,900 per dependent. So for a family of three, family of four, you're looking at six, $7,000 worth of legal work and only $5,000 opposed to $200,000 in Costa Rica or 60,000 in a bank account or $279,000 in Belize. Does that make wow. sense? Yeah, so all absolutely. of those need legal fees. Though, yeah. Don't get me wrong, all need legal fees, but the requirement is so little. And what do you get yeah. for this? Well, in Panama, you have an opportunity to live and work and be in the country full time. And to keep it active, all you have to do is visit the country one day every two years. That's it. So even if you're not wow. sure today, but you want a plan B, you want a backup plan. You're thinking maybe in two years, I want to relocate my family. Mm -hmm. My advice is to go for it now because it can take a couple of months to get the visa and it's in your back pocket. 
You don't have to pay any upkeep. There's no ongoing costs. There's no ongoing legal fees or government fees or stamp duties. All you have to do is visit the country one day, two years. That's wow. amazing. That sounds impossibly easy. I mean, that's 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 crazy. It's almost like why why in would you nine not to- countries? This is nine countries I've lived in the world. This is the best one I've ever been on. The fastest, most efficient. We help people all the time do this visa. I mean, if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you'll find a contact us page. You reach out to me about Belize, about Costa Rica, about Panama. Panama is the most popular, but we can do most countries in the world. Wow. Okay. So let me let me ask this. So barriers to entry, one of them would seem for us children. Another one is taxes. And that's another motivating reason to get the hell out of here. Right. So I sold my business in 2018. I thought I was going to be like independently wealthy. And then I got smacked by capital gains in the state of California. And by the end of it, you're, you're giving 40% of it back. Now leaving California is talking about an exit tax and all kinds of crazy stuff. What are the strategies to avoiding, um, giving your money back to this country? Like what, what are the proper steps to avoiding as much tax as possible and not paying tax on uh, future income? If, if you're working, let's say you're working in Panama, but you're working for an American company, can you get out of your American taxes? Great question. And one of my favorite, favorite topics, I will give a quick disclaimer before we get into the tax situation. I am not giving individual tax advice, even in this hypothetical situation, I'm not sure. giving you tax advice. I always work with tax lawyers and CPAs. I do a lot of consulting calls with people. Then we run everything by the CPA, by the licensed professional who is legally. Okay. I have to make sure that this is is very clear. But yes, you are 100% correct. California is very aggressive when going after people with their taxation from the state side. So if you try to go from California to Panama, which we can talk about Panama's tax situation in a second. But in a nutshell, it's it's a tax-free country. You don't pay taxes there. Mm. If we if you do it the way that I do it and the way that we'd structure it, you work with me, I'll make sure that it's done in a zero tax. And I mean 0.0000% tax. Okay. That's so, incredible. I'm not let, sure I believe we, you, but go on. Well, we'll get into that one afterwards. You you remind me and I'll answer that one afterwards. But let's deal with California first because California is a pain. What we often do with clients is we try to first relocate them to a zero state income tax place. So we can go to Texas, we can go to Florida. Florida is usually the most popular. Um, It's very easy to do. What we would do is we would get you your driver's license. We would change where you're registered to vote. If you have a primary uh, abode, we would sell your house in California and we would either rent in Florida or repurchase in Florida. It depends. Um, I have sometimes people who say, I don't want to sell my house. Well, California will actually look if you own two properties. So let's say you own a property in Miami and a property in Los Angeles. If the Los Angeles property is a million dollars and the Miami property is only $500,000. Well, Florida, sorry, um, California is most likely going to say, well, you're more expensive. Your primary residence is still in California. Therefore, you are still subject to state taxes there. So that's why for making it very, very clear, we try to have people sell their primary and then move and then either rebuy. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
We can do additional strong ties. If you are religious and you go to church, if you go to synagogue or mosque, going to these types of things and showing proof of attachment to the new community can help. If you have a gym membership, if you are part of any associations, if you have any licenses for your business, um, and we move those to Florida or Texas or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, those can all help. So what we're trying to do is actually build an entire case because it's not one thing. It's not just like a check mark. We mm. want to have several things in this case that we can actually show. No, Matt really did leave California. He really did move to Florida and he really does have his life there. Now, once we're able to make that case and establish it and it's, it's done, then we look at moving you to a place like Panama. Okay, so that handles the state tax. We've handled now California state tax, zero tax for Florida. Before we move on for federal tax and tax to the jurisdiction that you're in, any questions from that side? Got it. Very Got succinct. It. Okay. The next thing that you want to understand is when you live outside of the United States, there's actually programs in place so that you can legally reduce your tax bill. Once again, I'm not giving you tax advice, but you can go to the IRS website and you can look these things up or you can hire me and we can set these types of things up for you. But the big one that you're going to want to look at is called, is called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, F-E-I-E, -E, okay? And what it does is basically shelters your first $108,000 of your income. Now, it makes it basically tax deductible. So if you make more than that, now you're going to owe taxes to the federal government. We took care of the state tax already, just the federal government. But there's a couple caveats in there that we have to look out for, okay? So let's look at each one of the words. Foreign earned income exclusion. Foreign. So the income actually has to be foreign. You can't be... You can't be inside the United States anymore. You have to be living in another place. Um, it has to be earned income, which means your dividend payments, your passive income, the interest from the money in your bank account. That doesn't count. It has to be earned income. Okay. So you have to have a job or have your own business. And with that business, you pay yourself a salary. Now you start taking dividends, you know, you're making millions of dollars. It's a different scenario. But for most people listening today, this is a very, very sound strategy. So how do we prove that you're in a foreign country? Well, there's two methods. One is called the physical presence test, and one is called the bona fide residency test. We won't get into the bona fide residency because it's a little bit more complicated. Usually we do this for people who have been overseas for multiple years. But the physical presence test is dead easy, and I like it very much. It's math, okay? It's 330 days in a foreign country. But once again, caveats. In a foreign country, this doesn't mean outside of the United States. So if you are in international waters, if you're on a cruise ship, you're taking a round-the-world cruise, it doesn't count. If you're on an airplane and you're flying from one country to another country, it doesn't count. Your feet have to physically be present inside a foreign country for you to qualify for a minimum of 330 days. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Okay. Now, if your spouse is also an American citizen and is also having an earned income, well, they can also apply for the foreign earned income exclusion. So now we have a doubling effect. So oh, instead wow. of 108,000, now you're looking at around 220,000, 800,000, 
$108,600 or $700. So now you're talking at almost $220,000. Now you can also start to look at things like housing credits, about tax credits, there's other things that we help people with. But to keep things in context, if you're an American family and you're leaving California and you get rid of your California state tax and you have your first $220,000 sheltered from the US federal government and you're living in Panama, I mean, you're now a king and a queen. Hmm. I mean, it would you'd be pretty... Like it would be a lot of work to spend $220,000 in a year in Panama. Like you'd almost have to be like, like, like this is the drink in the Dom all night long. And like, you'd be rinsing it. There's no question about that. And it's interesting. You said you're, you're in the ballpark of where we are. And in California, we're not living like Kings and Queens. We're renting, we're renting, which comes to about 40% of our income and we're pinching pennies to go on vacations. So that is that would change dramatically for you. That's very appealing. And now you're talking about you got to get paid. So let's say somebody they want to they want to relocate, but they want to keep their same job and they can work remotely. So are you suggesting that to qualify for this, you would have to open an LLC in your name and have your employer pay your LLC and you pay yourself? Is that what I'm hearing? In most cases, no. What the once again, in general terms, not giving tax advice. Most cases, what the U.S. government is looking at is where you are, not where the money is made. Does that make sense? So if you are physically present in another country, then you are going to qualify. In a lot of cases, you're going to be able to keep your remote work, keep your job that you already have, but live overseas for less taxes, for more prosperous life in a peaceful country with no military. Costa Rica, no, no standing military. Panama, no standing military. Okay. I like that very awesome. much. I think that's incredible. What libertarian um, wouldn't like that? That's that's wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm giving you literally real life tips how libertarians can leave the United States, pay zero taxes, and not contribute to a regime which invades other countries. Like, I mean, that's that's the dream for a libertarian. I mean, no taxes, no no foreign wars. That's that's what we spend our time yapping about here. Like, I, I'm. I should have done this already. I'm disappointed in myself. So I we're running out of time. I know you have other interviews. I'm so appreciative of you coming on. I'm going to seek out your help uh, of sure. your business. So just two last questions. You can answer them and then we'll wrap. Number one, what is the name of your business? How can people reach out and find it? And number two, let's just say hypothetically, I heard all your advice today. I talked to the wife. She's not down with it. We don't do it. But then 2029, I'm a 55-year-old single white guy. My wife left me for some, someone who's less grumpy, right? And all I want to do is just disappear and get off the grid. You recently did a show about how to disappear off the grid. Um, is, is, that, is that realistic these days with technology? All right. Two questions in there. I'm going to answer three questions. I'm going to answer a question you didn't even ask. Just quickly on the Panama tax side, just so that we're very, very clear. We took care of that state tax. We took care of the federal tax. Now, what are your obligations to the new country that you live in? And in this example, it's Panama. Now, it's zero, but why? How? You know, because you said, oh, I don't know if I believe you. Okay. Okay. Panama follows what's called a territorial tax system. Just like how the U.S. government cares where you are, not where the money is. Panama is actually the reverse. 
They care where the money is, not where you are.、Oh. So you can live there full time, and you can earn the money outside of the country. So if you're being paid from your from a job. Um, you're doing remote work. You're a consultant. You're a coach, or an Amazon FBA, or drop shipper, or you have an info biz, or basically anything online. Then the money is not being made in Panama in their eyes. You're being paid from a foreign source, so your obligation to the Panama government is zero. Okay, they have a they have a, a VAT VAT of seven percent on goods, but I mean from the income tax side, it's zero. So that is, that, is really, really. Well, okay, guys, that was pretty nutty.、Uh, we were talking to Mikel about how to get out of paying taxes, and wouldn't you know it, the power got cut here, and we lost him. But、uh, we were able to get him back and finish up the podcast. So,、uh, without any further delay, let's get back into it. Here he comes. Hey, buddy. Sorry about that. You know, you start talking about taxes and your power goes out. I mean, <laughs> crazy. So I don't know what's going to happen. All、there. I'm going to say is, thank God I live in a third world country <laughs> where we don't have these types of problems that California has. Right? No kidding. No kidding.、Um, so I'm on a, a solar generator at the moment.、Um, so I don't know what's going to happen here. So let's have let's finish with what we were doing and 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 wrap it up. Okay. So. For the taxes in Panama, what you have to understand is the zero point zero 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 zero. That's for money that is made outside of the country. Now you want to open a barber shop, you want to open a restaurant or a tienda, a little store or something like that. You want to sell to Panamanians. Well, you're going to have to pay tax on that. They do tax people on those types of things. But for probably most of the people who are listening to today's conversation, for most of your audience, certainly most of my audience. They're mostly entrepreneurs, digital nomads, remote workers. They have、yes. some type of profession, and they have a job back home that they get paid for. So in these instances, it works perfectly. But I do need to clear that up just so that we don't have any kind of miscommunication where someone says, "Oh, Mikael said I can go there and open a restaurant, and I don't have to pay taxes." No, in that case, there are taxes. But in our case. There are no taxes if you do it the way that I do it. If you legally structure it and you work with the professionals, then we can take care of that. Absolutely.、Right. And now the other two things you were asking me about is well, how do people get you my help? All right, if you go to expatmoneyshow.com up in the top right hand corner, it'll say about us or contact us, something like that. You scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to find a contact form there. Drop me a message. Give me as much details as possible. Tell me. Hey, I heard you on Matt's podcast. I like what you said, and I want to learn more about Costa Rica. I want to learn more about Panama, and I want to get this tax free. And then let me know. Okay, do you have a plan in place, or you need help doing a plan? Because I always help people on two different sides. We do the implementation side, or we do the planning side. They're two separate things, but I can help on both sides, and and I try to help any way I can. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Now, as for <laughs> So wait again. The interview that's expatmoneyshow.com. Expatmoneyshow.com.、Okay. You're going to be able to find that. You guys can also reach out to me directly if you type in Mikel at expatmoney.io. You can email me this type of stuff. But contact form works、yeah. quite well. You're going to hear from me. You're going to hear from、yeah. me for sure. We're doing this. Perfect, perfect. VIP service from my podcasting brothers. So absolutely no problem there. Now for your other question about going off the grid. 
I did an interview with my buddy, Gary Collins. He's become a good friend of mine over the last year or so. Really, really cool, interesting guy. Um, if you guys go to the podcast on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, anything like that, type in Expat Money Show and look for Gary's episode. We talk in depth about going off the grid and really kind of pull back the veil on how this is done, how it all works. Because I think for a lot of people, it is a option that they want to explore. They're either looking about leaving the country or they're looking about leaving um, the big cities and going into yes. more rural zones. I actually want to do some episodes in the future, probably with Gary. We might even do some projects together looking at Paraguay or Uruguay and actually building communities, off-the-grid communities in these types of countries, in Latin Amazing. American countries. So yeah. There's going to be some cool stuff there, but that's a pretty wild episode. So I do... <laughs> Yeah, I do hope that you guys get a chance to listen to it. I, I will. I, I've not. I saw the episode just yesterday. I'm going to listen to it. I know that um, in the circles I run, there's a lot of growing interest in that idea. And I, I think with what's happened in the last year, that interest is just growing exponentially. A lot of people are, are beginning to fear the government. A lot of people are just annoyed in general. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, right now we're going off the solar generator. Uh, we're already taking some basic steps. People want to kind of disappear. So I recommend everybody to, to, to check out Mikel's podcast. Listen to that episode if you're interested in that. Um, what, what else? Where else can we find you? Where else can we um, learn about these types of things? Well, if you go to Amazon, if you are a reader, I have a book called Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes live overseas and make giant piles of money. Super humble title. I know I'm a very <laughs> humble kind of guy, Matt. That's how I roll. But um, yeah, the book had phenomenal success. It actually went on to become a number one bestseller. Wow. We've helped tens of thousands of people with the book. So I encourage you to go check that out. It was written a couple of years ago, but a lot of the things are still applicable today. And we have a ton of bonus resources that go with it. So between that, the podcast and the coaching and consulting the, and the implementation, that's kind of what I do, helping people just like you to escape California, disappear from California, move overseas and uh, yeah, yeah have a more peaceful, free life. I mean, yeah, I mean hey, good. You're, you're doing the Lord's work, man. We're here for a short <laughs> while. The, the goal shouldn't be to work 40 hours a week till you're... 80 years old and then retire for three years before you die. You're living life the right way. You're enjoying it. They say, they say, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day. It sounds like that's what you're doing. So congrats to you. And, and I appreciate you for shedding some light on this subject to myself and, and all of our listeners. I know I'm going to get a ton of emails about this. I'm going to point them in your direction. So thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much, Matt. All right, guys, that, that was great. I, I hope you enjoyed that as much as me. He's a fascinating guy. I mean, can you imagine quitting school when, what, what did he say? Like he was 12 years old, he quit school, and now he's operating a massive business all over the world, traveling since he was 17. That was, that was very exciting for me. And I want to have him back on sometime just to get some of his exciting travel stories. Now, I may not be, you know, world traveler since I was 17, but everybody who listens to this show knows that I once punched a tiger shark in the face in Belize, and uh, I'm guessing Mikkel didn't do that, so I'll have to one-up him. But no, he was awesome, and definitely going to ask him back on, number one, to get more advice as my family begins this transition, if we have the balls to do it, and number two, to get some of his great travel stories. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, 
we will not go on another six-week hiatus. I got another guest in the pipeline right now, and we're going to keep it rocking and rolling all summer for you. So thanks for joining me, guys.